before we get to my next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast, got a ticket giveaway because who doesn't like free tickets? I'll be giving two trivia questions, one right now on the podcast and the other in the Hawk Off the Press newsletter this week. If you get both right, you'll be entered to win two tickets to the November 20th Hawkeyes game against Illinois. So again, one question now, one in the newsletter. If you get both right, got a chance at tickets to the Iowa-Illinois game. So here's the question. What was the score of Kurt Ferentz's first bowl win? Again, what was the score of Kurt Ferentz's first bowl win? Now, instructions on how to submit your answer, along with the second trivia question, will be in this week's Hawk Off the Press newsletter. You can subscribe at subscribepage.com slash hawks. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'm your host, Gazette Hawkeyes reporter, John Steppe. My first guest is someone probably a little familiar with our audience. Former Gazette reporter and longtime co-host of the Gazette's On Iowa podcast, now the Hawkeyes reporter at The Athletic, Scott Docterman. Scott, thanks for joining me today. Hey, I'm happy to join you, John. I just uh, do miss the studio in Cedar Rapids, but uh, uh, there, if there's a better solution, it's probably one in my basement right now in my office. <laughs> well, once we finish setting up the podcast studio in the new newsroom, I'll have to get you over there. So yeah, then you can get the authentic feel of it. <laughs> you know, well, I tell you what, you know, in the early days when Morehouse and I did it, uh, we had some really interesting places that we would perform some of our podcasts. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, just to take you down memory lane here a little bit. You know, the second one we did, and I, I reference this one a lot, was in the car on the way back from Big Ten Media Days in 2010. And uh, we were in the western suburbs. I'm driving like 80, and we're passing a digital recorder back and forth. And that's how we, that's how uh, we started. Uh, how the On Iowa podcast was doing it that way. <laughs> and then we just had a lot of different uh, spots. I mean, uh, you know, we we did it in this basement once after uh, Iowa football media day, and we're drinking during it. We we celebrated the Cubs World Series victory with uh, beers at the Gazette office in downtown Iowa City, <laughs> and uh, we did it the night before the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, Carolina. We we're actually in Los Angeles, California. So you know we've we've done these podcasts, uh, you know, a couple hundred of them over time, and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, had some aggravating times with the technology <laughs> uh, that Mark can certainly attest to, but uh, no, I, I, I've always, that was one of my favorite things I've ever done in my career was starting the On Iowa podcast. And, and uh, you know, I do miss the, the camaraderie with Morehouse, uh, you know, we, you know, at some point we'll hop on again together here and there, but uh, you know, it all started in the Cedar Rapids Gazette. I'm impressed with the handing the digital recorder back and forth on 80. Like that's a, that's a true effort there from a makeshift technology standpoint. Yeah, that was actually uh, 88 in the Western suburbs. I, you know, we're just, oh, we're, 88. I misheard yeah, that. We're, 
We're somewhere not quite to Naperville, so we're not into the uh, Aurora area quite yet. So it was it was dicey, you know, eighty miles an hour on eighty eight, and handed it back and forth, and uh, you know, so we're we're you know talking about you know this podcast may kill you and it may kill us too, but uh, <laughs> but you know I always say once once we get, especially Big Ten Media Days once uh, Aurora is in your rearview mirror, you know it's all happiness from there. So. <laughs> Well, looking at this last Iowa game, the good news for Iowa fans is probably that they'll only see David Bell at most one more time if he doesn't go to the NFL draft because he's been an absolute Hawkeye killer, it seems. Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) That probably is the understatement of the century here that I'm saying by saying that he's a Hawkeye killer after he had 240 receiving yards. Yeah, 588, the most for any receiver against Iowa, I think, ever. I know certainly in the Ferentz era, um, you know, from 1999 onward, I'd have to go check to see if somebody else ruined their day three years in a row back in the 80s or something, but I, I don't think anybody did. It, it was really impressive to watch it almost to the point of, um, you know, if you're an Iowa fan, you're like, cover this guy. <laughs> and in uh, and, and three years in a row, that's been the case. And uh, he's gotten free every single time. <laughs> and I know there was a little video, I think it was on you know, Purdue's uh, BTN feed, which was, you know, Iowa fans shaking his hand going, please go to the pros next year. <laughs> and I, I can't imagine that he won't. I mean, we just named our, our midseason All-American team at the Athletic, and he was first team. And um, he's as dynamic of a receiver as I've ever seen and faced the Hawkeyes, especially this many times. And, you know, there, over the years, there have been Hawkeye killers, guys that just do, you know, just like, please leave if you're an Iowa fan. You know, James Hardy was one of them from Indiana. Um, you know, uh, Jonathan Taylor was at Wisconsin, you know, more recently. And Saquon Barkley was tremendous. And, um, you know, there have been some defenders, too. But uh, I, 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 even Antoine Randall L., who was terrific. Uh, I don't think that's going back there a little Bad. Yeah, it's 20 years, but man, he was good. If he was in today's world, he'd be a, he'd be a Heisman guy. But um, but David Bell's is as lethal of a weapon against Iowa as I've ever seen. And I was kind of shocked rewatching the game, looking at all the single coverage with Matt Hankins. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to see whether Hankins was really a hundred percent because. He was getting beat in a way that you usually don't see Matt Hankins get beat. He was, and some of it was by design in some ways. And I think that's where it's a combination of just not physically being able to contain him. And then also uh, not schematically changing up your defense to, to try to slow him down a little bit. And, and part of that was because of the lack of a pass rush. So when they started blitzing towards the end of the second quarter, um, because they couldn't get any pressure from their front four, that left one-on-one coverage because that's really about all you can do. And I remember like the cross, the the shallow cross, he ran across the field. There's not a corner that can really keep up with it. I don't care, you know, how fast you are. Maybe you can make the tackle, but, um, you know, Matt Hankins is really good. I mean, we had him as a second team All-American. He was I think the second rated corner in the country by PFF going into that game. And, um, and then he hurt his shoulder. I, I think it's, um, 
I, I think where Iowa screwed up on this is I think you needed to have somebody jam them at the line of scrimmage and yeah. then, then play zone after that. Cause they, you know, they're really good at zone, but it was a little bit arrogant. It was a little bit like, okay, we've, we've played some really good receivers, Ty five, five Ogle, Xavier Hutchinson, Jawan Dotson, um, Dante Demas before he got hurt. All those guys are terrific receivers and they've held them in check for the most part, but yeah, Demas might've been a different story if he yeah. hadn't gotten hurt. That's true. You know, he might've gotten a hundred yards on him or something and maybe even a breakaway from that, but there, there was kind of a, an, an arrogance in some ways in, in, in defense that, Hey, we're going to play our defense. They're not going to be able to do this all day. Well, he'll get his yards. He'll get some catches, but he's not going to kill us. <laughs> he did. And at halftime, especially with Hankins, who was hurt, you could tell he wasn't the same. And without yeah. Riley Moss, that would have been the time to say, man, we got to do something a little different. They didn't. You know, and in fact, they had to continue to try to blitz to pressure the quarterback because to compensate for the front four not getting there. And, and a lot of that was quick passing, but some of it wasn't. And so, yeah, there wasn't enough changing up on that. But, you know, I also look at it this way, that they allowed 24 points, which isn't bad against a team like Purdue. You can kind of accept that. But we all knew at some point Iowa's going to have to have a game where it relies on its offense to win not just its defense. Its defense is good, but some one, once in a while, you're going to have to have, you know, you're not going to have your best day on that side of the ball, or you're going to face an opponent like David Bell. You're not going to always get four interceptions. That's just not going to happen. You know, when it hit the pylon, that was luck, by the way. Uh, I, I think it's really a matter of that the offense needs needed to win that game 28-24, 31-24. It needed to score, and it didn't. And that's where my concern is with this team right now. It's defense will be fine. They'll figure out a way. They'll get better up front. They'll, they'll you know, do all the things that Iowa does over the years and get better on defense and improve as the season goes on. You know, next week will be like fighting a Zamboni. But, but I think, <laughs> you know, um, but offensively, they've got to do something. And they got to do something almost drastic at this point because you can't win a championship this way. And no. uh, maybe the West Division. But, you know, that, that's really hollow in some ways, considering being ranked number two in the country. You, you've got to be you, – you've got to put yourself in a, in a better position. And it doesn't help, too. This offensive line is not the best offensive line unit that Kurt Ferentz has seen where you looked at the inexperience there, they just got beat at the line of scrimmage. And you usually don't hear those words when it comes to Iowa's offensive line gang, just flat out beat, but they were. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. Um, you know, the running backs aren't the problem now. I mean, in the past they have been, but, mm -hmm. um, but not this year. I mean, they, you can't really ask for a better person than Tyler Goodson. Him, I think Ivory Kelly Martin's played his best football this year. I even think that the threes and fours are really good too. So if they needed to play, they could Gavin Williams and Sean Williams. But uh, at this point, when you look at what they've got defensively, they're getting beat. At least one person is getting beat on almost every slant run, you know, to the outside zone, right, left, whatever. Somebody is lose, is not getting their block. And after a while, you've got to be more consistent than that. Yes, you're going to get beat. You're just there. There's too many good players. And once in a while, they're going to cross your face or or whatever happens. They're going to do it. But it's 
way too regular right now. And I mean, this, this team's 125th right now in tackles for loss allowed at 56. That's gross. That's not even, I mean, seven games, you're averaging eight tackles per loss allowed per game. Um, that's way, way, way beyond any kind of normal uh, output that you would have. And I mean, and, and the, the craziest part is they have the best center, maybe even the best offensive lineman in the country, Tyler Ritterbach. But outside, yeah. um, they're young and they're growing. They're not there yet. I do think Mason Richmond's pretty good. But um, inside, you've got, you know, injured guys, three guys that have been injured at some point, Justin Britt, Cody Ince, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, Kyler shot. And then you have a, a true freshman who is graded higher than they are, but he's still working. He's still not fully developed in Connor Colby. So you've got all these moving pieces, but you're at game seven. now. You're past game seven. It's time. You've got to be better than this. And I imagine this week has been, um, accelerated, uh, amount of urgency. It has to be. Because oh, yeah. if they if they can't get better, they are uh, they're doomed. I mean, they'll they'll lose at least twice the rest of the way, and uh, and none of these games are palatable losses. Not to say it, Purdue isn't, but it, you know, do you really want to lose to Wisconsin? Do you really want to lose to Minnesota? Do you really want to lose to Nebraska? Do you want to lose those trophies? You you might if your offensive line doesn't come to play because I think that is the weak link right now, and that is kind of a scary thought for a team that's built along the offensive line well the other thing too is if you take a couple more losses having that big 10 west title that i think everyone took for granted a week ago all of a sudden you really can't take that for granted because you have a two and one purdue team now in conference that has the tiebreaker over mm-hmm. iowa you have a two and one minnesota team that will be coming to Kinnick in a few weeks. So you, you don't have that much margin for error, even with a weaker West division where you can't really afford to lose some of those trophies from that standpoint and not have the risk of not going to Indy in December. And you want to win every game and every game for even beyond the, the big picture. The narrow, you know, the narrow of we want, you know, if you're Iowa, you want to go to Madison, you want to win. It doesn't matter if it's by one point, you want to beat the Badgers, not just for the trophy. But the fact is, those two teams have for 25, 30 years have measured themselves against one another as who is the tougher, who is the more physical team. And it is a fight that you that there are. The only other team that ever really kind of <laughs> Morehouse always called it three polar bears fighting for the same sheet of ice was Iowa, Wisconsin, and Michigan State, and uh, <laughs> and that was with D'Antonio as head coach, and and they play this physical, grueling battle style of football. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that there will be a touchdown scored next week. It, it, it's really going to be that grueling, even more than normal, but it is brutal style of football to, you know, it's probably brutal on the eyes for people who don't like that. And it's just going to be brutal physically for the players who compete in it, but you don't want to lose that. You don't no. want to lose Floyd of Rosedale. You don't want to go to, you know, on the day after Thanksgiving and have um, the potential for wrapping up the West. And then all of a sudden you lose to Nebraska. I, you know, that just doesn't, that's not That'd be about you know, as bad of a scenario for Iowa fans as possible. You lose right. out on the West. 
because you lose to Nebraska, I don't think it could get any worse than that. That's getting kicked in the stomach. I mean, it's just or, or below that. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, yeah, you know, so what what you have to do and what they know all this. I mean, I'm not revealing anything. I'm not, you know, <laughs> I didn't find the magic secret or whatever. And that is they're just gonna be um <laughs> they're they're gonna they'll understand that they've got to do something offensively to 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 just generate some offense and and that's in the running game is that going to be more jet sweep action is that going to be less zone is it going to be more gap runs is it you know are they going to just play bully football or 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 what i don't know i mean they, they've got to do that this week is it more rotation up front is it less rotation up front is it moving parts is it is it calling more simple plays I, you know they've got to figure all that out and yeah. I can get behind any of those scenarios other than status quo. Mm-hmm. And because if it's status quo, they're going to lose at least once. Maybe oh, yeah. they get to Indianapolis, but you really well, that film lose. was kind of almost like a how to guide on dismantling Iowa's offense. Like next time I'm in Barnes and Noble, maybe there'll be a dismantling Iowa's offense for dummies book. And it's just what happened in that Purdue game because they did it so well. And, and that's really what, what Iowa is faced with. And it's, it's problem right now is that it, um, it, whether it's, it's personnel that they, when they get into a running play, they run a running play. They don't really audible out of it very much. And you see eight in the box all the time because they don't respect their wide receivers. They figure we'll cover them one-on-one. Now, once in a while, you know, with a single high safety most of the time. And, and okay, you know, they'll, they'll go with it. And, and then, uh, you know, they'll do a, a, you know, like first play of the game was, was outstanding. You know, the slant to, to Keegan Johnson, he shows that he can break tackles. He can break away from defenders, do all those things. We need to get him back involved. And, you know, however you do it, do it. Um, you know, same thing with Sam Laporta. He's shown he's going to be a really good one, but it just seems such a grind sometimes <laughs> offensively. But I also think, you know, and it's easy to, to get negative, very negative. And Lord knows I have in whatever discussions I have in the last 15, 20 minutes that we've talked <laughs> that the passing game is, isn't that bad. I know people really want to, you know, really – cram on to the Petrus. He's not that good and all that. Yes, he cannot run the football. That's no question. And he had four interceptions, but three were in the final four minutes. So it wasn't like, you know, it was a 17-point deficit. I'm not saying that they were great. They're bad decisions, but you can kind of overlook them because it's kind of yeah. out. You have to be desperate at that point. Yeah. But then uh, it, it really all stems from the running game because when you're running for 3.1 yards per carry, <laughs> that on this offense, the way that they built this offense, then you're not going to ever really um, get off the ground. It's going to hurt your pa- play action passing attack. It's going to hurt your drop back. It's going to hurt your defense and playing complimentary football. So, you know, it may help your special team some, but you don't want to live there all that often. Yeah, you don't want to rely on Tory Taylor's punting as much as punting has been winning this year. You don't want – you're not going to keep on winning by – relying on that so yeah i mean you know and as much junk as i just talked <laughs> next <laughs> week might be a week where punting is winning you mm-hmm. know i mean when you're playing wisconsin 
and they have the number two defense in the country. And it's every bit as prolific as it's been since they switched to three, four under Dave Aranda seven, eight years ago. Um, you know, you might get to the plus 44 and it's fourth and one. And you'll just say, you know what, we're going to punt and we're going to try to make them go 90 yards. Um, that might be winning next week, but it's not going to be that way every week. So there's no. going to be another week where they're going to have to, you know, Northwestern probably isn't in either, but Nebraska where it's fourth and one at the 42 for Nebraska, you might say we got to get go for this one because they do have a little bit better offense and they can score some points. So punting is winning most of the time when you're playing complimentary football and you're going against a challenged offense, but sometimes you, you, you got to, you, you've got to have your offense win a game and, and that, oh, yeah. that offense hasn't done it yet. And you were mentioning Petrus, you know, he's had a lot of improvement. Even you see from game one to game six, I think game seven was a setback. But when you look at just his completion percentage, it almost is a constant upward trajectory there where I think he's still sometimes forcing a couple passes. I think we saw that with that first interception that he had right away where put too much on that. It's kind of a tight space anyways, but you know, he's better off than probably any other big 10 West quarterback. Which probably says something. Well, not Aiden O'Connell after last week, that'd be probably the one exception, but it probably does also say a lot about the big 10 West. Yeah. Well, you know, you could go with, a lot of these guys, I mean, Aiden O'Connell has been really good. I would say uh, Adrian Martinez has had a lot of moments and, um, and Tanner Morgan's been really inconsistent, but at his highs, he's, he's really good. I mean, like the first half, he was 14 of 15 against Nebraska and he yeah. showed it a couple of years ago that he could be really good. The most disappointing one, of course, is Grant Mertz. I mean, everybody expected him to be a, you know, the, the difference maker which is kind of why they left Jack Cohn exposed and they went with Graham Mertz. And then, you know, now, you, you know, this year they've got three touchdowns and nine interceptions. I mean, it's gone way backwards, even compared to their game manager days of Scott Tolzien and Joel Stave and, and team players like that. Uh, I, I think you could play winning football with Spencer Petrus um, because I do think he's a, a really intelligent guy. I think he's gotten better with his accuracy. He's got arm strength. Um, I don't know if you need him to do more, ask him to do more, or if it's just a matter of, Hey, um, can you get us in and out of bad place once in a while, a little bit better than you have in the past. Um, I think they could survive that. I do. I do. Uh, some people don't really like him. That's the Iowa way. I mean, they don't like any quarterback, um, once he yeah. starts playing, you know, they, they love him until he does, but <laughs> You know, it, it really, you know, I, I it's like the one thing I keep circling back to is they rank 118th in yards per carry. You cannot live like that at Iowa. No. This style of offense, you can't. In Purdue, you can, but not at mm. Iowa. So they've got to get something, squeeze something somewhere to, you know, if it's, again, it, it could be any multitude of solutions, but they got to find something. It could be more zone. It could be less zone. It could be more gap. It could be less gap. It could be get the fullback out of there. It's a fullback on every play. It could be, you know, <laughs> you know, moving Connor Colby, you're our right tackle or get him out of the lineup. I don't know. They're going to have to figure that out. Um, they know it better than I do, but they have to do something because you just can't, you know, and even then, even if you could win the West, win the crown, 
do you really, with an offense playing like this, do you want to go against Ohio State? You want to get in that boat race? I mean, you're going to have to pray you get like a Maryland performance out of your defense to, to, oh, yeah. to do that. And it's possible, I suppose, but that's that's more wishful thing. And that's like trying to, you know, hoping your scratch off gets you $50,000 instead of $2. <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, even if you go up against, say, a familiar opponent like Penn State that you beat the first time, mm-hmm. if they have a healthy Sean Clifford for four quarters – I would not feel spectacular about Iowa's odds there. When you look at what he did in the, what was it, like little over a quarter that he was in, you know, he took what the Iowa defense gave him, and it was working. Sure. Um, that's the one thing that I do come back to with Sean Clifford. He, did, he had an excellent quarter and a little bit, you know, quarter and a half, quarter and a quarter or whatever, and uh, with 17 points. But – one thing that I do come back to is Iowa tends to play that way defensively where it takes a little bit of time for them to, to kind of settle in. Um, That's a good point. But, you know, Tiger Viola in Maryland was 11 of 14 for a hundred yards in the first quarter. He, he looked really good. Now Dante Dimas got hurt, but then the second quarter came. Iowa, I've always kind of compared their defense, especially because they don't deviate much. They don't do a lot of different blitzing or stunts. You know, they, they do some stunts, but they wait that they're primarily a quarters coverage defense. They don't, they have four linemen up front. They play two gap. Anybody can scheme against that first and right. All right. Use our 15 plays. And that's why you see teams gain yardage on them really quick. Then it comes down to, all right, second quarter, it's seven to three, it's 10 to seven, whatever. Then what? That's where I was kind of like, I, I could kind of like him to a batter that, find, that that goes up against a pitcher for the first time. And okay, you got to catch up to the speed. You got to catch up to the to the drop on the on the curveball or whatever. And then the second at bat, that's when they knock it out of the park or, or really you know drive it in the alley. And and that's kind of the way the Iowa defense is because once you start attacking it, they can see what's coming a little bit faster. And so I, I'm not the one to say Sean Clifford would have, you know, threw eight touchdown passes, just like I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. say that he would throw eight interceptions because he threw two in that first quarter. Hell, he threw two in the fourth quarter against him last year. Yeah. So, you know, is he going to throw two in every quarter of both? No. I mean, so I, I think in, in some ways Penn State had the advantage. I think Penn State would have won had he played. He didn't. They – where they're, they screwed up so badly because they didn't prepare their backup quarterback. They, they had every opportunity at halftime to adjust. They oh, yeah. So it's all on them, you know, and, and the, the, the whining and consternation over, well, we would have shot. Yeah, you would have. But you didn't. So what do you do? It's the game of football. You, you know, you had a 14-point lead when he left. Why didn't you stop Iowa? Why didn't you force turnovers? Why didn't you – do all the things you need to do to win that game um, instead of the, yeah, but so I don't know. I mean, I, I think Penn state's the second best team in the East um, Michigan pretty close with it, but I think it's, it's Ohio state. In the East. Yeah. That seems, they just have the most talent there. That really makes sense that that'd be the likely indie opponent. So we'll see soon enough on that. You know, the Clifford being out, well, what would have happened? It's kind of not too far off from the Purdue. What would have happened if Riley Moss would have played? 
you kind of wonder, okay, would that have been better defense with David Bell? The issue with the Purdue one, though, is they just failed on kind of every level. So even if defensively you are better, well, the offense didn't really – how often do you get within the 10-yard line and three times and two times you don't come away with any points? That's, that's probably the best scenario for Iowa after that loss. Because, you know, I, I saw it in like 2018 when they lost 38-36 over at Purdue. And it was like, it was a defensive failure that day because they had two freshman corners, right? They must be in one of them. They just got torched the whole game and there was nothing they could do about it in some ways. Um, this one, the beauty of it is that everybody failed. So yeah, everybody has yeah. to take a bite of that sandwich and and swallow it and figure out what's what's wrong. And that's, you know, the defense did not play up to the, its capabilities. You know, they even missed a field goal, which is rare for Caleb Shudek. only a second one. And really that's his first miss, miss, because the first one was a bad snap. And mm-hmm. then, um, then, and then the, the offense, yeah, you, you were gifted a great punt return. You were gifted a great kick return. You were gifted uh, a fumble that, that went out of bounds at, right before I crossed the goal line. You were gifted, you were, you know, two sneaks. I, I was kind of, you know, you, when you think about it, that was kind of the, the perfect scenario for the day when you, you know, you try to sneak on third and two and you, and you get one yard and try to sneak on fourth and one, you get zero. It's like, you not trust your offense to get one yard in a regular play. You have to always yeah. keep going back to this. And, uh, and so I, I think in some ways that it's just all fitting that everybody collectively has to learn from it. I think they can. And, and I know that's, gosh, you know, it, coming off a loss, it's always this way. You just immediately jump to the negatives. This team sucks. I've seen some really bad <laughs> Iowa performances and they've come back and just look dynamic the next time, not necessarily through the air or anything, but just great. Um, 2016 oh, yeah. comes to mind when they went to Penn state and they gave up 599 yards, lost 41 to 14. It was bad. It was as bad as you can ever imagine. They had, they got the daylights kicked out of them. And then they were supposed to play Michigan, which was number two in the country at Kinnick. And, uh, and so they hadn't allowed, I don't know, it was just some really obscene defensive numbers. And then they come back to Kinnick and Iowa wins 14, 13, you know, and you look like they're off. Iowa's offensive line counting the tight ends. There's like four walk-ons versus this elite level defensive unit. And they're, and they're throwing bombs and they're, and they're winning a lot of game, you know, plays up front. This team's going to come back. It's going to come yeah. back physically it's going to come back mentally it's going to win some games it's going to look good doing it just like it did against Iowa State just like it did against Penn State when it came back from 14 um you know Indiana Maryland it's going to have some of these performances but you, you know I think the thing is you see the flaws and oh, you yeah. understand that they've got to elevate those flaws so I I, I hate feeling like I'm negative 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 <laughs> on you you know this 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 but you know, the positives are there. And when this team's playing at a high level, it's one of the best teams in the country. No question. Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing, too, that can't be totally overlooked with that Purdue game was it was coming off that in kind of more than kind of that really historic, big, exciting, kind of euphoric win against Penn State. And as much as the team talks about the 24-hour rule to us, you know that it's still, I mean, 
harder than 24 hours to really move on from a game like that, where I'm sure that was lingering a little bit into the week. It's like the same thing as, okay, they don't care about the rankings. And I look at their Instagram stories and like every single one, maybe not every single, but almost every athlete, it feels like is sharing the graphic with the number three ranking or the number two ranking. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter officially, but here's us celebrating it. So I think that probably maybe there's a little bit of a hangover from that Penn state game. And I don't think we'll see that against Wisconsin. I think they're going to be fired up. No, no, never against Wisconsin. That This team will never let down against Wisconsin. And even though they've kind of flipped roles to where, in, you know, in the, you know, to like 2014-ish, Iowa was playing Wisconsin, not with, I mean, they, you know, just like Wisconsin now, they still have hopes of winning the West, but it's, it's probably unrealistic. But Wisconsin's going to be gunning for Iowa saying, we want to win this game. We want to win our trophy. We want, oh, yeah. because Iowa will feel the exact same way because they understand the medal of their foe. And this is the standard of the West division. And it has been for so long that, you know, they don't know anything different. They don't know what the two thousands were like when it was the other way around, <laughs> um, but maybe it will be from the future. I, I do think more than anything, I think there might've been an emotional letdown for this team and, mm. And it's natural that, you know, you ride that high for so long. And I think it came, it, it was the same way against Kent State to some extent after the Iowa State and Indiana games where it was just, you know, you, you're emotionally kind of tapped out and you just got to have that little bit of a, of a letdown. And, and I would say that that's probably more the case than being, you know, arrogant or conceited or whatever. But, you know, I mean, it all affects you, but it's just. Oh, yeah. I think that probably, you know, maybe on defense, it was lack, it wasn't as much uh, attention to details and preparation. And I think on offense, it's physically, they were just unable to do what they wanted to do. And emotionally they were tapped out. Um, and then schematically on offense, they've got to figure something out. And, yeah. and that's play calling, that's uh, planning, that's doing the wrong thing at the wrong time. I mean, you know, you, they had a lot of opportunities to get back in the game, even though they were decisively beaten, and they did. So um, I just don't see any kind of a letdown from here on out because, you know, you, you okay, if they go and they beat Wisconsin, this all has their attention because Northwestern's oh, yeah. four out of five games. They beat them last year, too, at home, and they're up 17 to nothing. Um, Minnesota – you know, that's, that's at home. That's going to be a pretty, that'd be first time in three or four games or for weeks that they've been at home. That's for Floyd. They make a big deal about Floyd and they should. And uh, then Illinois senior day and, and Illinois, you'll see a, a little bit of a spark on the uh, coaching staff after some of the recruiting issues that they've had with <laughs> Illinois lately. And then going to Nebraska, if they've got something at stake, they can't afford to let down. And, and they also know that Nebraska is looking for something positive. And, you know, that they are a pretty good team. They're just making a lot of stupid mistakes at the wrong time. And yeah, what better way to cap their season, even if they don't get to a bowl game and saying, okay, we, we got Iowa, we beat them. We took the trophy. We finally got past that mean old team to the East and, and we knocked them out of the, the divisional hunt or we knocked them out completely from the playoff hunt. Maybe they still win the division, but they're not going to go to the playoff. I, I think that's, something that they'll be cognizant of all those those are all border foes so oh yeah they'll, they'll be up for them. 
classic Big Ten West, done with the crossover stuff. Now you kind of get to the nitty-gritty rivalry games. And it's interesting. I was kind of looking at the um, history of, okay, playoff teams. Um, And you've had some that have had unranked losses and still gone on to the playoff. But they've all had only one. They've, you've never had a team to lose multiple unranked games being the playoffs. So it's a pretty slim margin for error to even have any shot at that. I think ESPN is giving them right now a 4% chance of that happening. And that's with like a 4.2% chance of winning out. So that's basically their path to possibly having that. But I think New Year's Six is probably still a very realistic conversation to have at this point. If they went out, and they'll be favored in all of these games. Um, mm-hmm. If they went out and go to Indianapolis and play hard, maybe they maybe they play Ohio State and if they lose. But it's like 34-24 or something like that. Yeah, something competitive um, at least. Yeah, then, then uh, Ohio State's probably in the playoff. That means that somebody from the Big Ten has to go to the Rose Bowl. Is it going to be Iowa or is it going to be Penn State or is it going to be Michigan? And that comes down to the rankings. The Rose Bowl established that in 2015 when Iowa lost to Michigan State. And then it was between a one loss Iowa and a one loss Ohio State for the Rose Bowl spot. And it was all really a matter of who was ranked higher in the, in the final uh, poll, uh, you know, the, the CFP rankings. And let's say it's Penn State's ranked a spot or two or three higher than Iowa, um, then yeah, I still think that the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl would be an opportunity. And and all things being said, I mean, if you go play, let's say Notre Dame in the in the Fiesta Bowl, that's all right. I think you'll yeah. take that. You know, now granted, you want to win a championship because how many people you know shove it up Kirk Ferentz's nose. Um, all the time because well you haven't won a championship since 2004 and you know Hayden won three well that was such a different era I mean yeah you know there was one long division 10 teams and they had uh you know and two of them they were tied with two losses and and tied for the league title that, that it's, a, it's an apples oranges thing but I do think that Iowa has a you know, but they got to win out and they got to beat their neighbors to do it. That's the essence of college football is being your rivals. And all of these, you know, four of the opponents, they have century old rivals that have lasted since the 1800s. And then Nebraska is, is you know, they, they were resided on each other's border for all but the last 10 years. and didn't know how much they didn't like each other until they started playing one another every year. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think, these games are every bit as important as whatever will come after that. And you mentioned like the potentially a fiesta ball against Notre Dame. I think if you asked anybody at the beginning of the season, not so much two weeks ago, but at the beginning of the season when they were preseason 18, that, Hey, you go to a new year's six bowl, you play Notre Dame. Let's say you beat them. I'd say most people would probably be happy with that. Yeah, I think, I think you can be sure. Uh, you know, I, I went into this year thinking that I actually picked them to win the West. I thought they were the best team in the West last year. They played the best. You know, they had that 
horrific accident game <laughs> against Northwestern. You know, they're up 17 to nothing. And then they had a really poorly called, you know, second half by Brian Ferentz where they threw three interceptions. They threw 51 times. They acted like they were down 24-7 instead of 21-20 and, and lost that game. Otherwise, they're going to Indianapolis. And by the end of the year, lining up against Ohio State, they had a really good chance of winning that game. And uh, so I thought going into this year that they were the best team. I didn't think they would lose to Iowa State. I thought Iowa State would beat. But as for the rest, you know, heck, they beat Penn State by 20. They beat Wisconsin by 21. They beat, um, you know, Michigan State. They don't play, but by 42. Uh, you know, they they were a good team going into this year. So in some ways, I think, yeah, you, you accept the, the New Year's Six designation just fine. But, you know, that. They've got it. They've got a chance here. They're still, you know, they've won as many. I mean, I'd have to total it now, but going into this year, they had the ninth most wins in college footballs from from 2015 onward. So they have some, you know, they're probably up the ladder a little bit even from that. So they've got to get they've got to get a statement going. They've got to get an explanation point, and, and this is the year to do it. So yeah. when you get to Indianapolis, if it's against Ohio State, you know, they they've had as much success against Ohio State as anybody. So yeah. no matter that. what, that's a tough matchup in Indianapolis. By then, C.J. Stroud will probably win the silver football for the Big Ten as best player. So what? Go win. <laughs> Go intercept four times. Do, do exactly what you did in 2017. Go blud- bludgeon them up front, but you've got to do it. <laughs> you can't just yeah. pre- pretend you're Iowa and go do it. You've got, you got to go execute. So, uh, But that day will come. We'll worry about that day, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, and we'll worry about uh, – try to dissect how they're going to score any points at all against Wisconsin next week. Uh, I think they're going to have to do it on the defensive side of the ball because I don't think they're going to score on offense. <laughs> we'll see if we have any safeties there. <laughs> Maybe, you know, hey, in the Ironman year of 1939, Iowa beat Purdue four to nothing on two blocked punts for safeties. That was, a, that was one of the great years in Iowa history. So maybe that'll be, uh, maybe that'll be something. Well, we will see. In the meantime, we have a bye week here, so we'll have a Saturday without Hawkeye football. That's going to be a weird change of pace there. So thank you, though, for joining me today. Yeah, you bet, John. I appreciate you having me on the the, the new and improved, I suppose, on Iowa podcast. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate it. My next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast is Lisa Salucci, the head coach of the Iowa team that remained undefeated this weekend, the number one ranked field hockey team. Lisa, thanks for the time today. Thanks so much for having me on, John. I appreciate it. So you've had a lot of great teams here, including a Final Four team, but 16-0 is something new. What makes this group so special? Yeah, I'll tell you, 16-0 is remarkable, and I think really what makes this this group so special is, first of all, our experience and then just our leadership. I mean, we have 11 fourth- and fifth-year players um, who have won a Big Ten championship before, who have been to a Final Four, and that wasn't good enough for them. So uh, they've they've showed up every day this year just focused um, with great intention on what they're doing. Um, and really as a coach, I'm just along for the ride. It's been, re- it's been remarkable, um, how, how focused they have been and their entire goal is really to continue every day to try to separate themselves from everybody else. It's been pretty awesome. 
And then how far do you think this team can go? You know, I, to be honest, like, I, I think our potential is endless. And I, I do think we, you know, absolutely can compete for a national championship um, and play in the final four. It's, you know, you never want to jinx anything. And I think what, what has really led to some of our success already is that we've really stayed grounded and just taken it a game at a time approach, because if you look too far ahead, uh, you can get into some trouble. And, you know, we're, we're surrounded by a very talented big 10 conference um, and there's some fantastic uh, division one field hockey team. So on any given day, anybody can win. Um, but I do, I think if we show up and we play our best hockey, you know, we have a, a potential to be playing in that national championship game. It seems like you're going through this gauntlet here with the Big Ten where it's like one top 10 team after another top 10 team. What is it now? I think seven of your win, no, eight of your wins yes. of yes. the 16 have been against top 10 opponents. Yeah. What's it been like going through that difficult of a schedule? Yeah, you know, it's I, I we actually really like it because it gets the team's attention. So, you know, you know, every game is going to be a battle and we've always typically played very tough schedules. But, you know, I'm just really proud of the Big Ten Conference because, it you know, we've always been probably the number two conference in the RPI and the ACC has seemed to trump trump us for a while. But um, we've really stepped up this year and all of my colleagues and those teams are doing a great job. And, you know, we, my, our team, this Iowa field hockey team, they get up to play the Michigans and the Rutgers and the Maryland's and the Penn state. So, uh, you know, as much as I want to say it's stressful and it's tough, we'll take it all day. <laughs> so and, I don't think we'll, we'll play another game that's, you know, outside the top 10, top 12. <laughs> and speaking of Michigan, there, going back to last Friday, quite the environment there, 1200 plus people at Grant field. What was it like getting to, play in front of that kind of environment? Yeah, I'll tell you, I, I've been a part of Iowa field hockey for 25 years, you know, a player and a coach, and I've never seen an environment like that at Grant Field. Actually, on my official visit is when Iowa broke the NCAA attendance record. So that was the <laughs> last time I'd seen anything like that. But just the other student athletes and coaches and fans and how rowdy they were. I mean, they gave our team energy in some really tough moments. Um, and to see them storm the field at the end, I've never seen that in a field hockey match. It was <laughs> unbelievable and I mean one of the greatest memories that we'll have on Grand Field for sure going forward yeah we I can't thank everybody enough they were like truly the 12th man did you see that Lisa Bluter was one of the people to storm the field I, I did and I, I did it Lisa Bluter and Jan Jensen and all those wrestlers and the women's basketball players and the baseball players and I'll, I'll tell you I ran into Lisa Bluter a couple hours after the game um, at a restaurant and she got the entire restaurant on their feet, you know, claim Sharon number one, number one. So <laughs> she was super into it. She said she loved rushing the field. And I mean, those are just the type of people that we work with at Iowa. And I, you know, I couldn't be more thankful for everybody's support. So does this mean now that you have to storm the court at Carver Hawkeye this season? <laughs> that, that's what we said. I told her that I said, I'm ready. I am ready to storm the court. I don't know if we'll storm the wrestling mats because that might be a little scary, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely our team. We will be there uh, loud and proud at all these events because everybody's doing it for us for sure. And now it seems like you have a little bit of a break here before you finish up regular season play. What's kind of the focus here during this 12 day break? Yeah. You know, I think the break couldn't have come at a better time for us. Just last weekend it was exhausting emotionally and, and just physically for our team and, you know, the season's been quite of a gauntlet. So we're just going to give them a couple extra days off. We had Monday and Tuesday off this week. We'll get back to practice tomorrow. And really, you know, this week, the focus is going to be on us. Uh, some of those small details that we need to clean up just with our 
individual defense, how we're finishing in the final third. Um, and then as soon as we hit Saturday, we're going to you know do some inner squad scrimmaging so we can simulate a game day. And then everything will be prepped towards Northwestern next week. But it's nice to be able to breathe, to not have to travel, um, and just to get some recovery too going for the girls. What was it like then last weekend finally playing from behind? Yeah, I'll tell you, I kept telling my coaching staff, I never said it to the team, but I'm like, we're going to play from behind. It's going to have to happen. And we were, we had been leading up to a lot of practices, really practicing those situations, player down, pulling the goalkeeper. Um, and we did execute it really well. I, I think, you know, put a different type of pressure on us than we've had yet this year. And that's a really good thing because certainly we're going to be in situations in the postseason, I'm sure, where we have to play from behind. Um, so I thought the team handled it really well, which was first and foremost, the most important thing. They stayed poised. And they, they never thought they were out of the game, which is from a coaching perspective, that was awesome. And then kind of unusual too with a shootout. That was the first time I had seen a field hockey shootout before. What goes through your mind as a coach during that process? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's a relatively new thing. I mean, we used to be penalty strokes and they changed it a a couple of years ago. And that was only the second time ever we've been in a shootout Um, last year against Michigan. That was the first time. So it was kind of, we, we were familiar with them, but really the biggest thing is, you know, your list of, you know, we have seven, eight players who we know we'd want in that lineup and then just making the decision of, you know, what's the order going to be, who's going to go first. Um, And then giving Grace McGuire, our goalkeeper, a couple of words of, Hey, keep your footwork. Here you go. This is what you need to look out for. And she was unbelievable. She was unbelievable. Sounded like you had a little bit of a nervous moment there as she was pumping up the crowd there. Yeah. Yeah. Grace definitely feeds off of the others, which I think is great, but I wanted her to stay locked in and I knew she was, but I told her just like, Hey, make some eye contact with me. Like, let's go stay in this, you know, don't get too, too high right now. Cause she still had a couple shootouts to go. And yeah, she did a great job. She, she was super poised and man, she was very mobile too, which was awesome. And it seemed like the defense ahead of her in that game too, was really impressive yes. where it took Michigan until I think is the second half to have a shot on goal even. Yes. And that, that was our, our game plan really has, was to deny Michigan opportunities because they have some fantastic goal scorers. So we really played some great lockdown defense and the back five Harper onto Loka as may leave it. They have been like that all season long. We've limited so many opportunities in these big games. And, you know, if we do give up something, it's a predictable shot, which is great for a goalkeeper. So um, I can't say enough. Our defense has definitely carried us through this season for sure. And then what was it like doing that quick turnaround where, okay, you finish up with number two, Michigan, and then you have a very good Ohio state team. Yeah. What was it? Was it even, I don't think it's even 48 hours. Yeah, no, it, it, it really wasn't. Um, so we, we right away Saturday morning, got back to prepping for Ohio state, went through a video meeting with the team, very short walkthrough, just because we knew how exhausted they were and what that took out of us against Michigan. Um, and then I'll, I'll be honest, Ohio State really challenged us. They were they were fast in transition. They played great team defense. Um, we struggled for the first three quarters and, and we had some exhaustion. But again, I think we had the belief that, you know, we just needed to be able to get momentum. Let's get some chances to fall. And, and once we did that, we were we were OK. But it was another great test for us to have because you're going to find yourself in games like that where another team's defense stymies you and you have to be persistent. And they showed that yesterday. Well, Lisa, I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Stay well. thank you for tuning in to the Hawk Off the Press podcast. I'll be back with another episode next week after the bye week.